This is Isaac Morehouse. Welcome to the podcast where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. 50,000 Two hundred and sixty-seven dollars. That is the average starting salary for Praxis graduates. Their average age, twenty-one. Most of them do not have a college degree. Many of them came straight out of high school. All of them wanted more than classrooms and studying and fretting over GPAs and graduating and shooting out resumes, hoping one landed somewhere that they didn't absolutely hate. They chose Praxis to get into the real world and work with amazing, fast-growing startups and small businesses right now. Why wait? To learn by doing, to reflect and study and push yourself and have coaching and, and mentoring to improve on what you're doing and then to go back to doing it again, that back and forth process of real world engagement in a business setting and reflecting on it, self-guided curriculum, that's what Praxis is all about. In less than one year, graduating the program, starting at an average of $50,267. That's after a paid apprenticeship during the program. See, you get paid to apprentice while you're in the program with these businesses. And when you're done, you get hired on. That is a deal that no other institution can match. You you can't get that kind of exposure and that kind of net cost of zero experience that leads you to a fulfilling life and career that quickly anywhere else. Go to discoverpraxis.com and join. All right, today on the podcast, I am joined by Mitchell Earl. Now, if you recognize that name, it is because Mitchell Earl was the narrator for Why Haven't You Read This Book? And it was his wonderful voice that you heard reading Why Haven't You Auditioned for American Idol, which uh, we ran as one of the episodes of this podcast not too long ago. So, Mitchell Earl, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Isaac. It's a pleasure to be here. So, uh, Mitchell, among other things, he is a current Praxis participant, um, very close to actually graduating from the program, um, already has an awesome startup job uh, that he's doing phenomenally well at, lined up um, to transition into full-time after the program. And Mitchell is also a writer, a, I don't want to say budding or aspiring, because that sounds demeaning. You just are a writer. Tell us a little bit more about who you are, what you're all about, um, and then I want to talk specifically about the book that you and I have co-authored, Don't Do Stuff You Hate. But I want to get a little bit more about your background first. So give us your origin story, your superhero origin story. Yeah, without without getting uh, too far off track, I'll, I'll try to make it make it short and sweet and and hit the the high points and and some of the low points. So yeah, we need some low points. <laughs> yeah, there were definitely some low points. So um, I'm born and raised uh, Oklahoma originally, and now now live in Charleston, South Carolina. So um, kind of my background. I'm, I'm in the middle of five children and grew up in kind of a rural town. Um, went to school and and graduated with 24 people. So I uh, grew up in kind of an agricultural environment there and just always, 
always was pursuing a lot of different things, had the opportunity to get involved in a lot of different um, really, um, really exciting uh, like opportunities, just networking with people, being involved in different student organizations, um, ended up going to college, Oklahoma State, not far away. And that's kind of where um, the real story uh, for me began was was when I went to college, just kind of hit some significant um, potholes. And, and I, I don't want to necessarily call them obstacles or anything. They're, they're more like milestones for me now, looking back, just some some real uh, defeats that I faced that uh, they didn't really like revolutionarily or revolutionize my worldview or anything, but they, they more just allowed me to let go of some, some ideas and beliefs that weren't really serving me anymore. And uh, from there, uh, the next natural step for me seemed like law school. And um, I kind of had this, this moral dilemma and this, this just internal battle waging about starting law school. I just, I, I had a feeling that it's not really what I wanted to do, but it, it sounded prestigious. I was scared of the, the financial obligations that were going to be there and um, was working at, at the Foundation for Economic Education that summer. And that's when I met you. I heard you give a speech um, about changing the game. And, and we talked, I think, a little bit there afterwards and, and just kind of discussed, you know, it's like you don't have to do these types of things if you don't want to. And, and hence, um, you know, the title of the book here, Don't Do Stuff You Hate, it, it, it just kind of all clicked. Like those were ideas that I'd already – practiced in a lot of areas in my life. And uh, when I made that decision, it kind of made this 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 whole philosophy more cohesive in, in everything that I uh, did moving forward. And so uh, since then, um, you started Praxis, had the opportunity to, to come and work at an awesome, really fast-growing company, and uh, love being here. So you mentioned in college that you had some setbacks, challenges, slash milestones. Um, give me an example. What, what, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So, uh, just to kind of elaborate a little bit more when I, w- when I was in high school, I was in, um, I was involved in a student organization, um, at the time, pretty big student organization. And I, I did a lot of different things there from, uh, from competing in public speaking, competing in academic contests, um, livestock and meat evaluation, all sorts of different <laughs> things. You, you can't just gloss over <laughs> livestock and meat evaluation. People who aren't from Oklahoma might not believe uh, that that's a real thing that exists. So just give us a quick 30 seconds of what that involved. Yeah. So the, the livestock, I mean, you're in a barn and you're looking at animals. You, you get you get a class of four and you're rating them one through four. Um, and just, you know, you, you got to give some explanations on why you pick them that way. Uh, meat, meat evaluation was more, uh, probably more in my wheelhouse. Uh, you'd go into a meat locker and you'd look at, uh, similarly, same kinds of animals, but they'd be dead. They'd be the carcasses. You'd evaluate their quality. And then you'd also have a retail, uh, portion of the contest where there'd be all these different cuts of meat of all, you know, beef, sheep, um, and pork sometimes go, and you'd have to identify the, uh, cut of meat where it came from, um, different things like that. It was it was, it was a fun time. I feel like if you, if you, you know, see, I know you're interested in continuing to write more. There's gotta be a book sometime where you just use the meat judging analogy <laughs> for stuff, because if it comes from someone from Oklahoma, people will just assume it's like brilliant folk wisdom. If you're like, you know, um, 
whatever. A sales team is like a cut of T-bone with too much fat on the edge. You know what I mean? Like you just keep using <laughs> these really stretched, like meat judging uh, analogies for everything. And you'll sound like you're just salt of the earth full of all kinds of, uh, all kinds of great wisdom from the farm. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I'll, ha- I'll have to put some more thought in that. Uh, it's, it's funny cause I didn't actually grow up on a farm, just around quite a few of them. So don't ruin the narrative. Yeah, but, you know, every, we, I'm from Oklahoma, so uh, there's there's kind of some um, just belief or legitimacy that I'm a, I know more about country stuff than than people in South Carolina or something. I don't I don't know. It's a, it, it's it's a, it's a hilarious stigma. So um, when when you said law school, and you mentioned something like, well, it just seemed maybe there was some prestige to it. Um, what was it that made you interested in law school? And then what was it that made you realize you didn't want to go to law school? Because this is something that I think you'd run into a lot where there's almost this assumption, and I don't want to put words in your mouth for, for your own choice on law school. I want to hear you talk about that. But there's this assumption that, this is why the don't do stuff you hate philosophy is so powerful. This assumption that like to succeed in life, you have to just sort of put your head down and do stuff that you hate. And, and there's something ironic about that because What's the definition of success? Well, to me, it's success on your own terms is being fulfilled and happy. And I don't think you just have to. Yeah, I got to got to go to school because I got to get a job and then I got to do this. And it's like everything you, you just sort of have to. You're doing it because you need a certain income because that's what other people consider to be success. And to get that income, you need a certain degree. And, then, you know, then you've got all these obligations and debt and you're sort of like chained down to somebody else's definition of success, um, that's really hard to break free from. So I, I don't, I'm not saying that was your case, um, but that's just an observation. But I want to hear what was it that attracted you to law school and what was it that made you realize it wasn't going to be a good fit for you? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. And for me, it was a combination of some of those things. I mean, there was an external factor. I mean, when I went to college, I, I was uh, dead set on medical school. And so I think this is a common uh, transition or migration as well. As people, you know, move from from this idea where they want to be a doctor, it's like, well, the next best thing I got to be a lawyer. It, I've got to I've got to attain the same level of prestige that I've always talked about that people sort of expect from me. Um, you know, I I'm gonna do something very cool, and uh, lawyers and doctors both sound like they're you know prestigious things for for whatever reason. And for me, it was more of a an academic interest than just. Uh, a financially lucrative thing, though that was certainly an element. I really liked um, the the idea of being able to use really, really intelligent arguments and facts and all these things to just like come in and you know kick somebody's ass in the law in the, the court of law. You know, I, I was I was thinking about like um, um, what's what's the movie? It's it's Tom Cruise, um, Jack uh, Nicholson. A few oh, good a few men. Good men. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can't handle the truth like that. <laughs> that scene, like that was everything that you know. That was pretty much the the reason I wanted to go to law school because that scene in the movie. Um, so for me, you know, being being scared of the financial obligation was was certainly something that started to really wear on me. Tom, but then, but by, by the way, Tom Cruise has probably ruined a lot of careers. It, when I watched <laughs> Top Gun as a kid, I decided I needed to be a fighter pilot, and I tried to yeah. go that direction. I don't know, maybe maybe cocktail people are bar who knows anyway yeah. that's a, that's a separate <laughs> irrelevant C- continue yeah absolutely so uh, as i as i was kind of weighing the costs and benefits i was like you know this is this just seemed like it's going to take such a long time to um, obtain something that 
um, you know, that I want. And it, I don't know if I really want to strap myself down to this. I've always been the kind of person that like immediately when I don't enjoy something, I start planning my escape route. And, um, you know, if it's not something I can immediately escape, then, you know, I, I have like a plan in place. And so for me that, you know, handcuffing myself to three and a half years, four years of law school and, and an MBA program was, was terrifying for me because I kind of had this fear that about halfway through I'd regret it and not want to do it. And, and it'd be like, well, now I don't have a law degree, but I have all this debt. And so I'm gonna have to take a shitty job and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have, have all these bills to pay. I'll probably, you know, I started weaving this narrative that just frightened me. And so that, that cloud was hanging over my head as I, as I, uh, you know, considered a lot of these options, but you know, it wasn't really the money so much as just the, the thought of being handcuffed to something that I found to be unfulfilling. And I mean, ultimately I just needed some prodding and some encouragement from other people. Um, so when I, when I met you, you were already, you were kind of, you know, pretty entrepreneurial in many ways. You had, you had interests outside of just, um, you know, sort of what you had done, your classes and things to, to go through, uh, college and even outside of the internship that you had at the time. And you had not just interest, but you had actually acted on them. So, um, I believe, did you have a photography business that you were running like through college? Yeah. So, uh, in, in college was really where my entrepreneurial spirit kind of took flight. I, you know, first started by, uh, um, freelancing as a writer, uh, all my, all my fraternity brothers and people in college would, um, outsource me to write all their essays and I'd do that so I could pay for beer. Um, I, I found a model that worked. It was, it, you know, wasn't so scalable, but it's something that definitely worked. And, um, you know, I kind of got, I got tired of just having that one source of income and I, uh, I had to take photography class and buy a nice camera for, for, um, the degree I was pursuing. And, um, it, I found it just kind of an outlet that was where I could get away from other people and just kind of have some peace and, and quiet to myself and, and just kind of like turn inward and like go out here and just let my creative uh nature take flight and i was like man why am i not doing this for money i need to buy all this camera gear so i should just start like finding gigs and i was kind of already plugged into a good uh environment uh with with like the greek greek life they always need pictures of stuff so i i tapped into that and you know my freelance uh freelance career just kind of took off from there i mean i i started doing it um uh probably monthly uh for for a couple years there and then you know the internship Last summer with the Foundation for Economic Education, had the opportunity to, to travel all over the country taking pictures. So um, it, it was something that, that kind of came about or evolved just from me pursuing my interests. For your interest in obtaining beer? <laughs> yeah. yeah it, was, it, was, it was more of self-serving. I needed, I needed money to live on. And uh, I figured, you know, if I'm going to um, – if I'm going to have a job or, or make money, I might as well – uh, find a way to monetize one of my hobbies. So, you know, writing was something I was passionate about, had checked that box and then photography, um, that gear was really expensive. So, um, kind of just self-serving is, is how I got into entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurship. That's, that's the best way. A lot of investors say they, they always want to look for founders who are scratching their own itch in a way, building something that's solving a problem that they themselves have faced and they just want to see it solved. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's, I think that's the best motivation. You know, sometimes you can have this brilliant abstract idea about how to help other people, uh, with a problem that you yourself have never experienced. Um, 
which usually is not the most effective uh, business plan. So that that's why most of those turn into nonprofits and then they can hide their ineffectiveness <laughs> for longer. Um, okay. So, so the book, don't do stuff you hate. Um, do you remember how us co-authoring this even came about? I honestly was trying to think about it. I had had an idea that I wanted to, to do another book and I knew I had a lot of several years of articles and blog posts that had not been published in any other, um, books yet. And I don't remember, did I come to you and say, Hey, do you want to work on this with me? Or did you come to me? I, I think, um, well, th the first time I heard about don't do stuff you hate, you emailed me and you, you sent me this like pit elevator pitch pretty much like, here's what I've got. Do you want to do a book with me? I think that was the subject line. And I was in the middle of my day. I saw the subject line. I, I stopped, I read it and I was like, hell yes, I'm on board. Whatever, whatever this email says, I'm going to read it and I'm going to reply. Yes. <laughs> and so I think you asked me to edit the book and you, you're like, I have these, these blog posts, these talks, all this, this content from several years. Would you want to help, help me out? Here's kind of what I have in mind. And I was, I was immediately on board. I like sat down that, that night or the next day. Um, I think it was on a Thursday or Friday, you reached out and I sat down and I read through like four years of content, like <laughs> immediately, like I just, I, I was so excited about it. I knew that, you know, I wanted to be involved with a book. It's something that I'd been talking about for years. And I was like, oh, wow, this, this just really, uh, decreased the barrier to entry for me to, to be an author. Um, maybe I can get some valuable experience that will translate for me as an editor, you know, when I, when I do want to eventually write my own book. And so, as I started going through all this content, you know, I started making tons, tons of notes. I, I went through a spreadsheet, like color coded all the, the, um, Oh, your spreadsheets were amazing. Oh yeah. I hadn't I, like, I hadn't heard from you in a couple of days or something after you said, <laughs> yeah, I'm interested. And then you're like, Hey, here you go. I've read through you know <laughs> hundreds of articles. I've color coded the, and ranked the ones that I think should be included. And you had all these, I mean, you just, you took it and ran and we're like adding stuff. And that's when I was like, dude, okay, you, we need to co-author this thing. Cause you're, you're, you've got the vision and you're bringing a lot more to the table than some, some structuring and editing. Uh, that was pretty exciting to see, to see somebody just run with something, you know? Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I didn't really know what kind of envision you had in mind. And, and I, I definitely, neither did I. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really know what you had in mind or, or not. So I was like, I'm going to read all the content first. I, I started drafting all these notes. And so I was just like, man, I'm just going to take the liberty and do all this. And, and we can, we can like, you know, play it from here just on, on what the actual, you know, this, this evolves into. And I, I started like coming up with some different ways that I thought the book might be good to be structured. And, and I started making it really, really complicated. And I mean, you did a good thing by giving me a lot of creative license and just telling me, it was like, own this, make it, you know, make it yours as well. After we had had the conversation about co-authoring and, you know, that, that conversation kind of evolved. I think I, I, we had a meeting or, or we, we voxed a couple of different times about, uh, some of the, you know, some of the problems I was, I was having with the book or, or why it was taking so long long or or some of the like the complexities that I was I was making out of these this really simple solution in front of me um you know I had like four or five different sections I was talking you know trying to make all this content fit into and it was really really difficult um frankly and it, and it gave me a lot of writer's block trying to add all these thoughts and details and and like inspirations that I had when I initially started and, uh, for me, it was a good, good lesson in 
um, not not like making things harder than they should be. <laughs> um, like, like simple is good. Uh, it's why Apple succeeds. You hear, you hear that all the time, but for me, I just, you know, and until I, until I hit the wall, um, I think you were like, well, why don't we just simplify it? Um, I, it didn't even occur to me that I was making it so much more difficult than it had to be. So. Well, I mean, it's a challenging process too. So the difference between a book that's, m- built on a bunch of essays that were written previously that need some reworking and some tweaking and whatever. Um, on the one hand, it's like, Hey, isn't this great? We've already got all this content. So just a little bit of work and we've got a book (laughs) on the other hand, it's, it's probably easier and faster to just write a book from scratch because you're, because you're trying to take, you're trying to take this stuff and like the temptation is to awkwardly retrofit it all mm-hmm. into these perfect themes. So you have this outline. Maybe the book could have this section and these three subsections that all flow. Wouldn't that be great? Okay, let me look at all these essays and see if I can somehow cram them into yep. this this template. And it really is just is hard. And so the direction we ended up going was just two broad sections, you know, mm-hmm. escape what you hate and then create what you love. And even those, it's not like like some of the essays could go in either one. Um, but you just I think just sort of trying to simplify that. And that, that is a that is a tough task to work with a lot of existing content and co-authorship is hard. So so what would you say? Yep. Did you learn anything from this process? Like, OK, I would never do because I know there are people out there who are listening to this who are good writers. They have some ideas. Maybe they have some completed stuff. Maybe they have an outline and, and they want to publish a book, but it can seem a little bit daunting and intimidating. I mean, it was very much so for me. Um, I never would have done it if Jeff Tucker hadn't come to me and said, hey, I'd like you to publish a book for us um, Mm -hmm. with Liberty.me at the time. And he sort of prompted me. He's like, you've got a lot of good content already. But I would have felt like, well, I'm not an author. I don't know how to publish a book. I mean, that's daunting. So for people who are sort of thinking about it, is there anything you learned in the process specifically from co-authoring or just from editing, putting together, you know, publishing in general that you wouldn't do um, next time or that you would do? Yeah, I think that um, the biggest thing for me, and, and I've already kind of got the the second book idea in mind. I've started drafting notes. I mean, I, I caught the bug when I so, touched something the about editing room, the so. first book. The minute you yeah. start editing the first one, maybe it's just because you want an excuse to stop. It's like you know what? I'd rather write a second book. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it inspires absolutely. you to write a second one. Yeah. So so one thing that's probably the most important that stood out um, is definitely that. Uh, I, I won't outline it. I won't start with an outline. Um, the first thing that I would do, and this this didn't really apply to our situation just because the content was already there, but but moving forward, it it identified, you know, the way that I work better is just to, to have a massive brain dump and to just go out and just stream of consciousness, get out everything I have, whether it's writing or just uh, doing a series of, of recordings on my phone, which which is really how I prefer to when I'm, I'm going to produce a lot of content is just talk to myself. Um, you know, if you see me walking around, um, with my headphones in, that's usually what I'm doing. I'm, I'm narrating my life and, uh, you know, um, that, that would be where I'd started and then go back and say, Oh, this is a lot of content here. are The main points I'm trying to make now let's flesh these out and like put them in the sections appropriately. Um, the ones that naturally emerge rather than like start, you know, having a starting point and saying, now I'm going to go from there. For me, that that just gives me a huge block because now I feel like I'm trying to cater all of my creativity to this one thing. And it, and it, it's really stifling for me. Mm. And, um, that, that's definitely not, 
that that's one I'm going to take into consideration, um, not just with, you know, book publishing, but just writing in general. What is the, you said you've got a, a, um, a next book in mind. Can you give us a teaser? Yeah. So, uh, basically the, the working title is, is equal forces, opposite directions. And, um, it's, it's something it, it addresses a theme that's been really prevalent for me in the past few years of my life. And it's this competing interest of ambition and being content where I'm at along the way. Mm. And, um, just kind of the struggle that takes place as, as you either get too comfortable or you, you're being overly ambitious and not content with where you're at. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's an exploration of all those different struggles that I think a lot of younger people face, especially people that have this entrepreneurial itch, um, and this, this desire to, to kind of skip, um, the normal steps on the ladder, um, that, that society prescribes. So, um, going to be very, uh, very personal, but, uh, I'm excited about it. You know, that's, it's funny uh, that that's the theme. That's, that's cool because this is something that even in the process of putting together, um, don't do stuff you hate. We ran into some of that. Uh, you and I were just talking when we, we read over the, the proof, the first physical proof of the book to look for errors and things that needed to be mm-hmm. tweaked. And there's this tension between, Let's just look. We created this. This is what was written. Some of these things were written a while ago. If I had to write them now, now that it's a year or two years down the road from where some of the content was originally written or even just a few months, I would probably write it differently. But like Mm -hmm. the struggle for that ambition to like make it better, improve it, make it perfect versus let's just be content. This is now the the last book I wrote. Now let me look forward. And if I want to write, improve my writing and change the style and use less passive voice or whatever else, let's focus that on the future. <laughs> and there's that tension. And I think it's almost in a way, I don't want to over um, play this too much, but in a way it's kind of embodied between you and I. This is one of the reasons I, I specifically wanted to, especially after I saw what you did with the, when, when you made that spreadsheet and everything work with you, we have almost um, opposite personalities in this way where you have a really high attention to, you want to get it right. You have a, a lot of detail. You have a lot of complexity in your mm-hmm. thinking and you want to rework things and just continually make them better. And I'm super impatient and I just want to ship <laughs> stuff. And I have a high tolerance yep. for imperfection in most areas of my life. There's very few things that I care about being perfect. And those things I care about yep. the most areas. So I was like, look, when you read this proof, trust me, because this has happened to me before too. <laughs> You're going to, you're going to be tempted to like rewrite every sentence that you wrote. You're going to be like, Oh, I could say that better. And you've got to just be like, you know what? It's okay. Let's move on. This thing that I produce exists. And if I were to do it again today, it would be better, but that's okay. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and this project has, and, and just really the, the work environment that I'm in and, and probably the last year of my life, just some of the circumstances and changes that have taken place. Um, this book made it very prevalent to me that I, that's something about my nature. Like uh, I know that it's probably better just to get something done and get it done on time or get it done ahead of time. And if there are some errors, it's fine. That done is better than not done. And, and like in the professional, uh, the professional work environment and, and just in, in life in general, like if you can just ship products, um, and not get hung up on, on making them perfect before other people see them, um, then, I mean, that that's going to be really valuable. You, you can't just get hung up or you'll, you'll never actually finish anything. And and that's something that, that I've I've been trying to work on as, as I've become more sentient of it is that, you know, 
there there's a a huge amount of growth that I'm cheating myself out of by continuing to tinker with things without putting them out in the world for for criticism or or feedback. And so uh, that's something I'm going to continue to work on. And and this book definitely made it shine. Well, it's a good it's a good tension too to um you know I know I know that I'm too extreme in the other direction oftentimes and. It's funny too. I, I see like I could see why law school would appeal to you. Like you have that, you know, you want to get every detail in there. You want to make sure that nothing is misunderstood and lay it all out there. And and just knowing that about yourself, this is not about this trait's good or bad. Well, I think all these types of traits are neutral. Mm-hmm. Knowledge of them is what gives you the power to say, okay, I know that this is the way I am. So given this project, I'm going to have to ignore that part of myself. Given this other project, I'm going to have to really just play to my strengths and, and take that to the hilt. Um, and just that self-discovery and not beating yourself up over it or like, oh, I need to be different, but just being aware of how you are. And my approach is usually, okay, I know that I have certain tendencies. Rather than trying to turn my weaknesses into strengths, I just want to work with people who counterbalance those tendencies. So that way I can, I don't have to focus so much on improving myself. I'll just work with people who are better (laughs) at those things. (laughs) No, it's, it's, it's really good though. It, it, I think working with you, I mean, even, even some of the projects like outsourcing the graphic design and things like that, it was good for me to see that it's so easy to just have something outsourced and, and get help from somebody else. Um, you know, sometimes I, I try to do all these things on my own that I don't have time for. And then I start you know, applying the same principle, you know, I've got to be so it's got to be perfect. And it's like, I've got too many balls in the air. And like, I'm, you know, some of them are bound to get dropped if I don't just, you know, let somebody else do it and and say, I'm glad that it's done rather than, you know, uh, me being stretched too thin. So yeah. And there's, there's something kind of fun. I used to struggle with that, like wanting to kind of micromanage things, especially if they were close to me, like something I wrote, this is me, it's my baby. So I want to format it and edit it and lay it out and make sure the cover is, but there's something I've learned to to get a joy out of people who I like and and who I respect and who are good at their thing. The more number of people that have like touched the project and been a part of it in some way, you know, our, my my friend Julia Patterson is a great designer. She designed the cover, and Zach Slayback and Lacey Peace helped with the copy editing and formatting, and then you're co-authoring it. And like, I like that it's it's a project now that's got a lot of different people that I like working with involved in it versus just like trying to do something solo. There's, there's something cool about that too. When you can sort of turn it into a, Hey, let's, let's not just outsource this because some people can do it better. or I don't enjoy this, but let's see this as an opportunity to pull somebody in that I like to work with and kind of, you know, give them something fun to, to be a part of as well. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's it's a nice break from monotony, um, especially in writing. If you're if you're you know you're writing a lot and producing a lot of content. I mean, you're spending a lot of time by yourself. It's nice to to sometimes look at a, a, another person's content and see how it um, how it inspires you or where it leads your writing. Um, and so you know this this project was was great. And then you know the opportunity to work with uh, with Julia and having Zach and Lacey help out on the other end. That that was. I mean, it's really valuable to the overall uh, book project, I think. There's something kind of fun, too, about looking through the book and genuinely not knowing 
if you wrote a sentence or I wrote a sentence, <laughs> you know, there, there is a lot of, of, of mix up now as well. I, I did that, uh, the other day, even after we've submit the proof, I've, I've read back through and I'm like, did he edit this back? Is that what I did? Oh, I don't <laughs> like that sentence. Yeah. He must've written that one. He changed that back and, and it's just, it's going to go on. The world may never know. Well, I, I was telling you before, this is actually one of the secret benefits of the way that we chose to to co-author it. Besides the introduction, we each kind of have a short little page and a half introduction of our own with our name attached to it. And then after that, it's like there were a bunch of essays that I did. You wrote a bunch and filled in the gaps. You even changed and added a different you know, paragraphs and sentences to some of the essays that I had. And we don't put anybody's name on it because it's just the way we chose to wrote it was just get the stuff out there. Mm-hmm. One of the benefits of that is that we both get to be perfect writers. So any sentences that are wrong in the book that are badly worded, that are, I can be like, Oh, that must've been a Mitchell sentence. And then you can (laughs) do the same thing. And so we all, both of us get to be, you know, and any good sentences like, Oh yeah, I really hit a home run on that one. It's great. It works out well. We just can't be in the same place at the same time (laughs) and people forcing us to take ownership. Oh yeah. As I've gone through and like pulled different excerpts out of the book, I'm like, oh man, who, who do I quote here? Who is the, do I just like reference the book? Do I cite the book now or do I cite? (laughs) Just quote yourself and I'll do the same Uh, at at will. So, uh, don't do stuff you hate.com. You can go there. There's no hyphen in the URL, obviously. Don't do stuff you hate.com. You can download a free, um, section of the book, uh, there. And you can also buy the, the, there's a link to buy it on Amazon. Um, there's a, you can, when you download the section, you'll get added to, um, an email list just to get some updates on stuff. It's not, not spammy or anything. It's actually pretty good, pretty good stuff. If you like the book, you will like the kind of stuff you get on that email list, but you can go there and sign up, um, get a free section and, uh, go to Amazon, buy the book. Um, Mitchell, what do you want people who want to stay in touch with you and who want to follow your, continued, uh, your writings, the next things that you're producing, um, you know, writing stuff unshackled from, uh, me and all my bad habits and ideas, <laughs> um, really, you know, taking you to that next level, where can they go to follow you? What, what action item do you have for listeners? Yeah, absolutely. You can, you can follow me at mitchellearl.com. I uh, just recently finished updating my site and you can, you can follow me there and stay tuned. I will, um, I'll be Sending out updates about the audiobook "Don't Do Stuff You Hate" as as it uh, finishes production later this fall. So, awesome! I was I, we hadn't even talked to us for sure about the audiobook yet, so I'm excited that um that that's moving forward because I I absolutely loved having um why haven't you read this book in audiobook form? I just thought it was was really awesome. I had a lot a lot of people who loved it, and a lot of people already asking, "Is "Don't Do Stuff You Hate" going to be in audiobook form?" So, that's great. So go to MitchellEarl.com. Follow Mitchell there. He's got some great uh, blog posts, uh, also a little photography, and many more things coming. Um, I'm really looking forward to your next book project as well. Now that you've said it publicly, now you're accountable now to, to produce it. that. Now thing. I have to do it exactly. Yep. <laughs> that's that's kind of the that's that's that trick I use to incentivize myself is is just accident accidentally uh, obligate myself to things that I know I want to do. <laughs> that's a good way to do it. It's like the reverse of don't do stuff you hate. It's like, okay, I know I want to do this, but I know I won't do it unless I'm made yep. to. So I'm going to make myself. Absolutely. Mitchell Earl, thank you so much. Um, the book obviously was a blast to work on with you. And uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me on.
If you're a fan of the show and want to help others find the Isaac Morehouse podcast, make sure you go to iTunes and leave a rating or a review. One rating goes a long way towards others finding the show.